Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. We're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Every week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. We're pleased to welcome Dr. Susan Ross, age 74, to Women Over 70. Sue lives in the Chicago area. She's a retired from full-time faculty work. Sue is an educator and a lifelong learner. Her career interests have included nutrition, social work, and adult continuing education. Sue has also been an active volunteer with women's organizations, political issues, and leadership positions within her church. We'll hear about some of these key involvements. However, we want to focus on life after retirement. We'll talk with Sue about how she planned for phased retirement, challenges and opportunities of aging solo, managing chronic illness, and her sources of joy and pleasure. So welcome, Sue, to Women Over 70. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thank you. And so let's start. Why don't you give us a, a brief context of your professional work and then how you eased your way into retirement? Well, the, the ending of my professional career, the last 15 years, I was a professor at Aurora University teaching social work and uh, was happy to do that, rotated through several different rotations, including working with the internships, teaching the regular courses, and then helping to start the gerontology specialization. So it, it was fun to kind of shift around and do that. In 2010, the university came up with the brilliant idea to do a cash buyout for folks. And it just happened that the timing was perfect for me. I was feeling a little overwhelmed with the workload and feeling like I couldn't quite continue that. I was 64 at the time, so the buyout would be get me to my 65 retirement age in Medicare. And so the timing was good for me to, to take the buyout and to retire at that time. However, I couldn't really, you know, I didn't really have enough time to think about retirement. So I kind of clung on, and they still had a few courses that they needed covered. And so it worked out beautifully that I could continue teaching on a part-time basis uh, while retiring from the full-time responsibilities. And I did that for a number of years. And then the preparation for classes, grading papers, all of those, then that started to seem too, too much. And so I cut back even more to monitoring students who were doing their internships and did that until 2018. And I finally said, you know, I think I'm ready to be fully retired now. But it was a, it was a good eight years of kind of tapering down as the need arose. Give you a sense of it? <laughs> yeah, that was wonderful. Yes, I think that, you know, that, that notion of tapering down and uh, Kind of easing your way out of uh, work that really was, I think, quite satisfying to you and call upon a lot of your um, your expertise was great. And 
So now it's 2018. You you left you left Aurora Correct. completely. Uh -huh. All right. And so what ha what have you been engaged in you know, since then? A, what retirees do, you kind of have to find your way. And it's it's ironic that you know my last years of teaching full time were in the gerontology program, and I was doing some research on the retirement transition. And so, you know, you get your big head about, oh, I know what this is all about. <laughs> but then I discovered that just because you think you know something doesn't mean that you can skip living through it. And so living through it has been a challenge, like many others, in terms of how shall I spend my time and what should I do and, and how do I stay meaningful. And, and frankly, I'm still working through some of those issues. But Spending time is not an issue. I think, you you know, I'm with all the other retirees to say, how did I ever have time to work? Or mm -hmm. I say, I'm very, very busy doing absolutely nothing or <laughs> whatever. But but time does kind of fill in. You still, you know, I still do think, play on the computer and I, you know, try to figure out the computer. <laughs> um, a lot of time with friends that, that were outside of work. I mean, dropping the work friends is a major issue. Um, but I was lucky that I have another groups of friends, you know, locally that I've done things with outside of work and playing around with theater subscriptions. I mean, I see more theater in the last couple of years than I have probably in my lifetime, <laughs> but it's mm -hmm. delightful to be able to do that and to discover new things. And now I'm starting to look and say, okay, things are settling down a little bit more. Uh, I'll probably start looking for some more volunteer kinds of opportunities in the future. But. I, I think you've been involved with um, some leadership positions within your, your church. Is, is that something you're still doing? That has been a big, a big piece of the transition from work socialization to outside socialization. Because I live alone, you know, I'm a social person. I, I need to be with people. And I found that the church has really been a key community for me that I've been involved with in the past. So as I've aged and, and gotten uh, not quite as much energy as I used to have in terms of leadership, I found that there are other groups in the church that are not quite so energy draining that have been very important in terms of uh, being a part of that. So we've got a group of, of elders that gets together to explore conscious aging and other topics of our interests. We've got a small group beginning to write memoirs and just incidents in our life. And that's been very fulfilling. Um, I pitch in wherever I can. Let me put it that way in terms of leadership. I've kind of stepped down from the leadership into just the, one of the worker bees. And uh, so for me, church has been really very important in terms of social life, in terms of um, participating in things that are meaningful and being a contributing factor to the larger community. Yeah, that, that's, I think that's so interesting, that shift from work socialization to another, who, now who do I belong with? And, um, and you mentioned that you live alone. So can you talk a bit about your experiences of, um, I guess, kind of a, a current term is living solo or aging solo? Well, I, I thought that I would reclaim the, the term spinster. 
in, in honor of the women before me who didn't have a choice but did the spinning for their families in the old times and were designated to be single so that they would have time to do the spinning and take care of aging parents. And so Is that where it came from? That's where it came from. It was it was a yeah. no tailor spinster it was it was the term for an occupation men used to be called spinsters back in the 1700s so um so women took it over and and frequently women were designated to stay single so that they could take care of aging parents and contribute to the family economy in the sense that they're just you know we didn't have labor saving devices back in those days and spinning took a lot of time and so that that single woman was the spinner in the family. So in tribute to those women, I have sometimes <laughs> reclaimed the term spinster. <laughs> I'll never think of that word the same way again. Good. That's, great. <laughs> that's the idea. I've been educating people on that, <laughs> being the educator that I am. <laughs> yes. Right. At any rate, um, being single, I've, I've never married, so I have no, no spouse and no children. And but a wonderful sibling relationships and nieces and nephews that I can connect with when I, they're all the distance. So nobody's really close to help, you know, with all that stuff, but it's, it's been a good life. I, you know, one of the early memoir pieces that I wrote was uh, on being a spinster. And how did that happen? Cause it wasn't part of my life plan to stay single. You know, I was raised in the fifties and sixties to, be a good wife and mother. I majored in home economics in college, so that was the best preparation for being a good wife and mother. And then I just turned the other way. <laughs> and what I discovered in my writing was that it, it was, I, I just have a curious mind and I like doing things. And the idea at that time of accepting the responsibility of being a married woman was to be at home, to take care of children, take care of your spouse, do housework, and that just felt too confining to me. So I, the other choices look more interesting, and so I kept taking the other choices. And so I can I can say honestly that I am I am single by choice. Not because I decided that up front, but because the other choices just look more interesting, and I just never quite got around to getting married and having kids. <laughs> and and it was fine. I made some some conscious decisions in my my thirties and my forties, and in terms of whether I wanted children, and knowing that I did not want children as a single parent, and deciding that with having helped to raise my younger brothers and. Uh, having other children around and, and being active in that way that I didn't really crave to have children and I would not feel incomplete if I did not have children. You, I'm sorry, so you said that you uh, helped raise your brothers. Are, are you the oldest in the, of the siblings? I am second oldest, but some, my sister, were, we, we all pitched in. There were five of us in the family and my two youngest brothers are like 10 years younger than I am. So we were old enough to take on chores of you know, I was an expert at folding diapers, I tell you, <laughs> and helping around kids and babysitting. We were always on call for babysitting. So, so it wasn't in the sense that I had major responsibilities. I was lucky and had two parents to take care of all of us. But with five kids, everybody got to pitch in. So I had lots of uh, experience, shall I say, with taking care of young children. So how are you, you and I have talked in the past about your 
looking ahead and where will home be uh, in the future for you? And so I think pe people are really interested to hear about how do we think about where are we going to live and what will home mean to us? Where will we belong and, you know, as we age? Yeah, the, some of this started back early on when I was in my career when I was doing things and I realized that not being anchored by somebody that I could choose jobs wherever I wanted to go. And, and in some ways that was very freeing and in other ways it was terrifying because there were no limits to it. Um, so I chose to stay where I am. Having grown up as a military kid, I moved all over the States all my life. And so I've found a nice location outside Chicago and I've been able to get to many different jobs from the same location. So I've actually lived in the same place for 40 years now. <laughs> so wow. Having moved as a child, I stayed in the same place as an adult. But when it comes time for um, picking up the, um, you know, deciding where I'm going to re retire to, again, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> um, but I realized that, you know, partially because I was teaching gerontology, that I really um, needed to be closer to family since I have no family in, around me right now. And as I'm getting older, I'm lucky enough to have extended family. So my job is to move towards them rather than them moving towards me, which they weren't going to do. So, <laughs> so I'm um, <laughs> facing, and my other decision, having looked in terms of aging, is that I decided that I really wanted to live in a, if I could, in a continuing care community, retirement communities, CRCs and the lingo, where I could enter as an active adult and participate in all the activities and friendships and whatever, social life there. And as I, if I became more frail or unable to do as much, that there would be facilities there that would help with that gradual transition. So the, the choice then is where, and so my sister and niece and her children live up in Madison, Wisconsin, and Madison, Wisconsin's a pretty nice place. <laughs> so I have decided yeah, in my mind that I will go to Madison, and I've ex explored different uh, facilities up there, and there's several good ones. Um, I've put myself on a waiting list for one of them, um, although I'm not... I could move at any time. I don't know that I'm ready to give up my friends here. But luckily, they've got a long waiting list, so it's not imminent. <laughs> I just say lucky or unlucky. I don't know why I may not get in there. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's, that's really fascinating. I, I just, it's just sort of yeah, a process of, you know, trying to take all the different factors into consideration. And that's where I've ended up so far. <laughs> Stay tuned. So are you, uh, are you willing to talk about what it's been like sure. for you to manage some chronic illness? Yeah, what, what, what has well, that been? What's um, going on for you? In my late 40s or early 50s, I have to remember exactly. Anyway, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And at the same time, I was having some problems with uh, balance and some numbness and whatever that took about five years for them to diagnose as multiple sclerosis. Um, I'm 
very fortunate in that so far the multiple sclerosis has been mild, uh, manageable. Um, I was diagnosed before there were any disease-modifying uh, therapies for it, so I never started on any type of medication. And as time has gone on, my neurologist and I have kind of decided we'll just let sleeping dogs lie and and not try to initiate any other kind of medication at this time now that there's so many available. Um, but it's, you know, I still have the, it, it's the silent disabilities, you know, as they call them, where people don't understand the, the energy requirements, which is part of the, the reason that teaching was becoming more difficult, is that you kind of start off with, with, with a cup full of energy, and every time you do something, you throw out a teaspoon of that energy and pretty soon the cup's empty and it may only be noon <laughs> so you're running on empty by the rest of the day and then that that builds up over time and um, so that's been the major issue for me is is the fatigue factor of that um, I've been lucky I you know I have episodes everyone once in a while where I'll flare up where I'll feel unsteady on my feet and so I have a cane that I will pull out and if I'm doing a lot of walking, I'll use the cane because that helps me. But, you know, I had one doctor say to me, frankly, he says the diabetes is going to give you more problems than the MS. And so the diabetes has not given me horrible problems. I mean, I don't have neuropathy. I don't have visual problems. I've, I've been good with that. Um, I've. It's always a struggle in terms of managing uh, medication and diet and all those things and particularly since one of the main ways that you can help manage diabetes is through exercise and activity and I get limited on that with EMS so so it's kind of a it's a it's a going back and forth okay I think I can do some exercise today and then the next day I I can't <laughs> so then I have to manage it with the food and the medication but so far it just it takes energy it takes attention it takes concentration for some of those things and and i sure don't have it down perfectly but i you know it's still manageable and i'm still working with it so try not to let it interfere with life because i like to live life and travel and whatever but you have to kind of realize what the limits are Yeah, it's. I'm sure it's not easy. Would you say that your your knowledge of these two illnesses have informed how you thought about retirement and moving into a a continuing uh, absolutely uh, care community? Yeah. Um, I, because I never know yeah. when MS might rear its ugly head. Uh, there, are, there are many cases of people with mild forms where it moves into a, a primary progressive diagnosis, where it really progresses. And, and so that's absolutely my thought, is that um, I want to be someplace where if that should happen, or if something happens with the diabetes, you know, with, with sight or uh, neuropathy or something of that nature, that I'll be someplace where I can move easily within the community to assisted living or even to healthcare if I need that. But um, yes, good point, thanks for asking. <laughs> well, I think that you're very smart. <laughs> well, you're it, being it, very it's part proactive. Of the, you know, part of the thing I think about living single, 
But you kind of learn that there's not somebody that you can lean on or depend on to take care of these things. That if you don't do it, there's not many other people that are going to do it for you. So, so that's, you know, I've, I've worked all my life kind of on the, the premise of I've got to take care of myself. And what do I need to do to make sure that I can continue to take care of myself in the future? I think that's one of the challenges that uh, people who lose spouses have to come to right. terms with. That it, so it's it's um, yeah it's really an important message that you're sending. I know, it's and I've seen too many of my my friends whose husbands have passed away, and their struggle of having to mm -hmm. learn the single life at a later age, and having been used to having that yes. other kind of support system and in some ways i'm very happy that i've had the chance to develop that knowledge throughout my life and not have to learn it at a horrible point in time yes that's an excellent yeah. point right. you know i think you mentioned that you um you said that you 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 don't you you're not letting the chronic illnesses interfere very much right. with, because you want to live life and not have interfere and then you said something about travel so i know that you do love to travel and you've been some pretty fascinating places um tell us a little bit about that and then what what else uh well, gives you pleasure travel has certainly been a, a big part of my life and i'm very grateful at this point that i took advantage of different opportunities when i was much younger <laughs> To, to do travel study programs in different places and, you know, Africa and Asia that I would never attempt to do now, but um, gave me the opportunity to do it then when I could. And once I retired, I switched my travel mode and had become a devotee of cruises. <laughs> um, and cruises work wonderfully because I get to see wonderful parts of the world and you don't, but I don't wear out my energy by packing and unpacking every day, moving to a different hotel and getting in, you know, traveling. So I, I can unpack once. That's my floating hotel. Uh, they will take me wherever these fascinating places are on a bus or whatever. And I can do however much walking I want or I'm able to do and seeing the sights. And so cruising has really been a big help for me in terms of managing with the MS. So do you do you travel with someone or are you uh, advent, really adventuresome? No, I don't. Solo I haven't gone solo yet because there's too many good people that want to go too. So, <laughs> so I've been lucky. We, we've got a core group of about five or six of us in the area, single women. And different ones of us will want to go see this or go see that. And so we'll pair up different ones. And sometimes my family will join in. And um, so we've, we've had times when we've had eight of us on a single cruise and <laughs> it cuts down on getting to know the other passengers, but we have a great time. So it's, it's all, all good. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Where are some of your favorite places that you've when I was traveled? When I was working at one point in my life, I worked with 4-H. And I went to Africa for about a, a three weeks or a month with the, the International 4-H Foundation, the International Youth Foundation from 4-H. And it was a wonderful opportunity. We were in Kenya and Botswana primarily. And, and this was in the 70s. So it was before people started going to South Africa for, 
going on safaris. I mean, people did that. Actually, we went, we went on one as a part, as a side thing on that trip, and we met a lot of people from Germany, and they kept telling us, don't tell your friends about this. This is our place. <laughs> <laughs> so we were there before the Americans discovered it in, in the past. <laughs> but that was certainly a good one. Um, in graduate school, um, there was an international trip with the YMCA. And we spent time in South Korea and in Hong Kong primarily with stopovers in Japan and Taiwan, um, working with the International Y. And so we would be housed in the, in the Y of that kind of the YMCA of that country working with students from that country and you know my job was usually to work with young adults and, and letting them practice English and so we would do that but we got to see all kinds of wonderful things that we wouldn't normally have seen so and then my retirement right. trip my my dream trip was New Zealand um, I had a student from New Zealand who just captured my imagination and um, early on so 20 30 years later I I got on the cruise that went down from Australia to New Zealand and, and actually met up with him and his wife, and they toured us around Wellington. But um, so those, those are the, you know, then there's, I mean, there's, there's on the Danube, and there's um, the, we just came back from the Baltic Sea area. We had, you know, there's a, a Greece one that was really interesting, Greece and Turkey. Um, so it, it's been great, and I'm now at the point where I'm I'm kind of backing down. I probably won't do much more international traveling. It's getting more difficult energy-wise, and it's getting more difficult managing the diabetes when you're traveling. So, and and age factors into that, of course. <laughs> so all of those things are exacerbated by age, and so I, you know, and that's fine. I I say to folks, I said, you know, I've seen a wonderful cathedrals all over the world and, and different places, you know, temples and things. And I've, I've walked on more cobblestone streets than I care to mention. And I've seen wonderful old forts that are in disarray. And uh, I know that there's many more, but I, I could be satisfied with what I've seen. And we'll just probably spend uh -huh. the more time if I can get this, my act together doing road trips in the in this country because there's wonderful things in this country I have for sure yes yeah that, that's great so so do you have I mean you've given a lot of tips I think for people who are aging who are perhaps dealing with chronic illnesses is there anything else you want to say to our listeners that might help them? pull their lives together as they experience various transitions? There's, there's a couple of things. One would be give yourself time. Um, you know, I, I used to tell people, I said, well, from my studies, uh, you should at least allow a year after you retire before you make any major commitments. And that's the advice given to anybody with a major transition, lose a spouse or move or do whatever. Give yourself time. It took me two, two years, three years, and sometimes ongoing to really kind of recover from burnout and, and the, the schedule, the killing schedule that we all seem to have at the end. Um, so give yourself time and be patient with yourself. Don't panic that you, you know, and, and grab onto anything to do. That would be one of my things. I think another one is just to be honest with yourself. 
and don't be afraid of facing the future. Don't, you know, folks, I say, oh, I'm not going to think about that. Or, you know, I'm not going to, I'm never going to retire. I'm never going to move out of my house. I'm never, and sometimes you just have to face the realities of what if, you know, or um, maybe I should think about some options here. And I think I was blessed to have a father that did that all of his life and planned so that when he passed, we had a relatively easy time as a family coping with that because he planned and he'd arranged everything. Um, and so I've tried to learn from that and do the same in my life in terms of, yeah, I'm going to die someday or I might be disabled more so that I can't take care of myself or whatever. What can I do to prepare for that so that it's not horrible? Well, dying might be horrible, but I won't be around to know. So. <laughs> We'll just let it be, <laughs> take care of itself. But, but disability is certainly, and, and not able to take care of myself. I, I think it's true that at this stage, it, it, it doesn't do anyone any good exactly. to bury their head in the sand. Yeah. And there are just certain realities. You're better off if you look at them and figure it out now while you still can. Sure. Yes. Well, you're very smart. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but you manage. <laughs> well, Sue, uh, thank you so much for joining us today and for for being so um, candid and and open about your life and your your perspective on life, which is really very inspiring and and, and encouraging, I think, to all of us. So again, we we thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for the opportunity. It's been great. And listeners, we want to hear from you. Please share your thoughts on Facebook at Women Over 70. Ask questions. Add to the conversation. Tell us what topics you'd like to hear more about and become an active participant in our community. Our goal here is to create a conversation across the generations. You can access our weekly Wednesday podcasts at womenover70.com. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us on our website. Thanks to the School of Continuing and Professional Studies at DePaul University for use of their recording space. And now, see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.